Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Director's Cut, your one-stop shop for all the latest trends and discussion on all matters relating to sport and exercise science, strength and conditioning, and healthy living. I'm your host, Tim Hanway, the Sports Performance Director here at Stack Velocity in Norwood, Massachusetts, and today I am joined by a very special guest, the man, the myth, the legend, I never get tired of saying that, uh, coach with the biggest biceps that I've ever seen, uh, Basically reminds me of a pit bull brought to life, but in all seriousness, uh, one of my closest friends, colleagues, one of the best coaches I've had the pr privilege of working alongside and working with, uh, someone I trust dearly, and that is head coach Mike Sinecropi. So Mike, so good to have you back. Thanks for having me here, Tim. Uh, it's my absolute pleasure. Um, for anybody joining us on the Director's Cut, Mike was one of the originals, all right? I think he was my feature guest in episode two, I'm going to say, where we discussed kind of maximal velocity mechanics, acceleration. Uh, we really just kind of went in-depth into some, some biomechanics. I mean, speed is unquestionably one of the most sought-after physical qualities when it comes to sports performance training, and at the time, you know, we certainly just tried to kind of just dive into that because it can be extremely confusing. I mean, there's a lot of science there. And if you can appreciate the science, you know, you're going to be that much better at applying the art of coaching. And if you're an athlete of actually benefiting from the training, just understanding how all these things kind of tie together. But, you know, the reason I'm, I'm so delighted to have you back is of all the coaches that I have the privilege of knowing, I think you have one of the most unique kind of journeys and stories. And, you know, I've written in the past about the value of coaching, how imperative it is for young athletes to have coaches, to have people actually design their programs, to oversee their training. And I think it's something that is still kind of taken for granted. So working now with uh, top-end Olympic athletes, um, I mean, it's incredible. And I think, if anything, your story can provide so much context, not only for young, upcoming, aspiring coaches, you know, giving them a real snapshot of what it takes to get to the highest level, but also for, for people out there that are interested in sports performance training or, you know, who question whether or not, you know, all coaching is kind of created equal. So, first of all, Mike, I mean, why don't you just start off kind of with, with your journey, kind of telling us kind of how you got to where you are today, which is pretty impressive if I do say so myself. Sure. So, I, I think I do have a pretty unique uh, kind of journey. So, I, uh, when I was finishing my undergrad, I knew that I needed to get some kind of experience. Mm -hmm. So, I, I sought out an internship program at uh, Boston University. So, I applied for it, and uh, luckily... Uh, for me, they actually accepted me, and uh, <laughs> I was able to be able to work with uh, the men's hockey team and the women's men's swim and dive team, mm -hmm. which was a huge undertaking for me because I had never been around college teams in an SNC setting, so mm -hmm. it was a big change. Uh, I learned a lot uh, quickly, and after the three months, I decided to ask them if I could actually stay on as a volunteer, mm -hmm. which they did allow. So that worked out really well. So eventually I stayed there for about a year and three months, just continuing to work and get my hands dirty and work with these athletes um, throughout an entire season, which was a, a huge benefit for me. It really taught me mm -hmm. uh, a tremendous amount. Um, and then actually in the summertime of that same year, 
I was afforded the opportunity to go to Mike Boyle's and work for a summer. We actually got, that was kind of my first paying job uh, <laughs> in this about, field. Uh, stepping, in, stepping into the deep end. Earning $10 an hour. Uh, waking up really early in the morning and then going home very late. So that's where that started, you know, early. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, after that, I, uh, after finishing school, I actually applied here to um, Velocity Sports Performance in Norwood. Um, and that, I think, was in 2014. About January, about 2014. Yeah, no, I, I remember that. I remember that fondly because I remember yeah. coming in one day and I think you were already here training and you just, you were like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, because I came like in your, with a friend. Set- so that um, is kind of where I found out about this place from a friend and decided to actually put in an application. And, uh, you, you know, Tim, you did my interview. And um, I used a cheat sheet, which I know <laughs> no. I know is no longer allowed to be used. We, we actually had to make a ruling <laughs> because uh, yes, so I did, yeah. So, I just wanted to be precise. That was all. No, but in all seriousness, I'll, I'll never forget that. But I mean, I was I was so impressed by you know your your thoroughness. So you know, just just to kind of give the audience a little bit of context, you know, when I interview coaches for uh, sports performance roles here. Uh, I take them through a very in-depth interview process, and it's a combination of just, of course, an in-person interview, just a, a standard kind of Q&A, but also there's a large practical component where I get a coach uh, to come in and demonstrate lifts and to basically provide mock coaching sessions to other interns or staff, and then in addition to that, actually invite that person into to coach classes with us to see how him or her would essentially fit. Uh, you know, I really got the idea for the practical component, um, certainly when I was in the UK with the UK SCA, uh, you know, and their accreditation scheme. I mean, I, I have the utmost respect for that organization. Uh, but yeah, I mean, when it came to the Olympic lifting, you had, I remember you had index cards (laughs) and every question I had, you had like a permutation. It's like you had like a color coded system where you're like, Oh, he asked me about this. He asked me about the, uh, the clean. All right, let me go to my clean index card section. So, I mean, it was, in all seriousness though, I mean, I was, I was just, your thoroughness just, just stood out. I mean, that is something that has, has stood the test of time. I mean, you're, you're easily one of the most thorough coaches that I, that I know and have had the pleasure of, of working with. Um, so yeah, I mean that you know that's how you kind of came came to us and like I said, I mean working for Mike Boyle, BU. I mean these are some of the most prestigious organizations uh, in the country, and especially if we're yeah. talking hockey, you know, with the exception of like Minnesota, that, I mean, yeah. BU, UMass, Lowell, or hockey Quinnipiac. In the East, I mean yeah. you know the Northeast, and we're certainly in one of the main hubs. Sure, for, they contend every year, yeah, for hockey, which is huge. And I mean you yourself, correct me if I'm wrong, you weren't an ex hockey player growing up, were you? No, I never played hockey. No. So how did you even find? Because I think that's also another misconception that a lot of parents um, and even like head coaches have that it's like you need somebody that has played that sport to really deliver upon that sport. And it sounds like, you know, and I know for a fact that that just isn't the case. But yeah, can you kind yes. of expand on that? I mean, is that something that you believe in or do you think that's kind of one of those false concepts uh, No, I, I false think it's, it's out there? definitely one of those false concepts. I, I mean, anybody who's trying to or anybody who's never worked with a specific sport mm-hmm should any coach should take the time to research that sport find out what's happening in the sport what the sport involves you know energy systems agility or any kind of thing like that so just not if you didn't play the sport that shouldn't matter if you're a real well well well-rounded coach and if you have access to um, literature Mm -hmm. you should be just fine in finding out enough information you need to be able to write a program from somebody and to for a team and to execute that program. Yeah, and, and I, of course, agree with that. Um, 
It really is, in my opinion, a, a big misconception because, you know, one of my favorite quotes that, that I often cite is one by Dr. Meg Stone out of Eastern Tennessee State University. And, you know, my attempt to kind of paraphrase it, she really says that in many respects, kind of good coaching, you know, good sports science is akin to kind of a doctor prescribing medicine for an ailment. And Agreed, what yeah. a good coach does is they basically look at the science of human performance. So again, we look at things like kinesiology, we look at uh, physiology, uh, and, you know, and then you can break that down into energy metabolism. Mm -hmm. If you adopt a holistic view, you can uh, incorporate things like sports psychology. I mean, you, you're basically taking this multidisciplinary approach, but in our, in our respect, we really focus on the physical aspects of that. But you're looking at the literature, you're, per, you're creating what you just alluded to as being a needs analysis. So again, what are the needs of the sport? What are the dominant energy systems? What are the dominant movement patterns? You know, a big one too is where are the most prevalent injuries for the sport? Right. So case in point, if we're looking at like baseball athletes and pitchers, we're going to get a lot of elbow and a lot of shoulder injuries. Yep. So, you know, you almost want to reverse engineer it, look through the literature, okay, what's the cause of that? What's the forces going through those joints that's causing these injuries? What are the repetitive stresses that are causing these injuries? And if a lot of it is due to muscular imbalances, well, what can I do from a training standpoint, picking exercises, picking loading schemes, what can I do that's going to help uh, control, or should I say restore, this kind of structural balance? So when you do all those things, you can, in my opinion, that I also share with you, is you can do a great job of coaching by applying, uh, you know, the science. And bringing, yes, it back to yeah. Meg, and bringing it back to Meg Stone's point, you know, she says, <clears throat> like I said, just as a doctor prescribes a dose of medicine, you know, a coach or the sports scientist prescribes a dose of exercise, you know, to, to basically uh, enhance performance and reduce injury. But, you know, the one commonality is just as a doctor needs to understand, you know, what that medicine is going to do to you on a biological, you know, chemical level, chemical, yeah. you know, we need to understand what a training intervention is going to do for a particular person. And as we discussed, you know, when we did that podcast a while back on speed and acceleration, there are very key uh, elements of physics and biomechanics involved when we talk about sprint models and, you know, you know, you need a training program that's going to be conducive to that. If it's all about ground forces, you know, well, how do we create maximal ground forces? Right. Well, we need to you know, get <clears throat> maximal neurological recruitment. I mean, there's so many things that kind of go into that it. Could, and and yeah, we absolutely. can, you know, we can go off tangents about this all day. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, before we kind of continue to do that. Um, so, I mean, that brings us to, to when you were here with us and you had, you know, a huge impact on this company. I can say that firsthand. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I could, <laughs> I, could, I, could, I could sing your praise all day. And uh, I'm, just, I'm just delighted to have you. I mean, just having you guest coach yesterday, I mean, the fact that I could yeah, hear you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. The fact <laughs> that I could hear you from the parking lot tells me that, uh, you know, you certainly haven't lost a step. But, no. you know, the one thing that I'm just so proud of you for and, and I'm equally delighted is, you know, when I first met you, when you were reading off those index cards, you know, one of the questions I always ask, you know, coaches is, you know, what, what's your end game here? Like, what is your ultimate career aspiration? And one of the things that you mentioned unequivocally was that you, you know, wanted to work for the U.S. team. You wanted to work in Alpine Sports, and you've done that. So I mean, yeah. why don't you kind of, you know, shed some light on kind of the next step of your of the journey? You know, after was it about March that you? Uh, it's about April, mid April, April mid April. I left I think, here when, yeah. you, when you left here. So yeah, why don't you kind of fill everyone in? What happened next? Uh, so after the internship, or, or after I left here? Okay, so after I left here. I uh, accepted an offer internship from uh, USSA, so the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Association in Park City, Utah. Mm -hmm. So I 
packed up all my stuff uh, <laughs> and drove to New York and got my father and we drove out to Utah. And I was holed up in an apartment for six months. Beautiful place. I mean, you know, right in Park City, uh, right at Park City Mountain Resort uh, with a, a fellow roommate um, and upstate New Yorker. And him and I proceeded with uh, three other or two other interns to, uh, to, to, per, to participate in the internship. So, you know, the first, the first month of the internship was a lot of uh, introduction and a lot of review of, you know, physiology, um, psych- uh, some psychology stuff, uh, the, the stuff that they do at USSA, mm-hmm. how they implement programming, the actual programming technology that they use mm-hmm. and that we were going to use it and we were going to learn how to use it and yep. we were going to program eventually for athletes for our own athletes uh, under the guidance of a, a coach um, which we were later assigned to specific sports mm-hmm. so i was actually um, assigned to alpine yeah which is going to include uh, downhill uh, super g a, a slalom sorry and then giant slalom so they're broken up into speed and tech mm-hmm. um, so I was with the the downhill guys and the super G guys so these athletes were pretty in pretty good shape I would yeah. say because they just have that culture built into their their kind of systems that they have so these people wanted to train hard they knew what it was to work hard and they knew that training hard would equal success on the hill Mm-hmm. So that the buy-in was already there for me. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really have to kind of create that sort of environment where I needed to get these athletes to buy in. Now in, in the snowboarding community, that is kind of a, a much bigger challenge because mm-hmm. these athletes look at it more as a, it's a culture or a community where, mm-hmm. you know, we do this for fun and the Olympics are kind of just an added bonus or the world championships an added bonus. But these people look at it like this is my lifestyle. Yeah. You know, whereas I had the total opposite um, yeah. kind of experience, so that was that was a little different to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but and being exposed to a lot of a lot of higher end athletes, so multiple gold medalists. Uh, you know, working with um, Joss Christensen, uh, Sage Coatsenberg, uh, Maddie Bowman, just just to name a few. Ted Ligety, yeah. you know, some of the big big names. Um, and people that won in Sochi, won gold or any kind of medal. So that was a, that was a great experience, absolutely. And I mean, I think, you know, just kind of bringing it back for a second. I mean, in your opinion, how competitive is an internship with any USA governing body? Like, how many applicants do you think? I think for my class, there was about 80 to 86 applicants somewhere in there. And that's throughout the country. I'm that's throughout that. the country, yeah. So, and they get foreign applicants as well. So, so exactly. <laughs> so I think we could easily say that if we were to try to be conservative, minimum of like 100, but I would say far more than that, are applying for these th- yeah. handful of internships. Yeah. So the fact that you were selected for that, I think, speaks volumes. And I think that's one thing, you know, like I said, one of the, one of the aims of today's episode is for any kind of younger coaches that are listening, just understanding kind of what it takes. So you mentioned, for example, um, you know, you did the volunteer work, 
you know, so you stayed after BU. Like after your yeah, I stayed done, on. Like you yeah. chose on your own time and your own dime to continue to work with that team. Well, yeah, because I didn't have a job at that point. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess you know, in in your opinion, you know, <clears throat> what type of work? You know, what are, what are some of the misconceptions that people have? Because you know, another reason I want to kind of go down this 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 route is to give you know other members of our audience, you know, those that are more consumers, you know, that actually yeah. look at coaches, you know, that, that look at employing services, uh, you know, like ours that we offer at Velocity and other sports performance services. But, you know, the first part is, is what does it take to be a coach, in your opinion, at the top level? It's really tough and competitive. The people you see at those higher, the highest end jobs, the one, I like to call those people the one percenters. Mm-hmm. I mean, because they're in competition with, with everybody. And it's just, I think... It's a wealth of experience. It's knowledge. It's kind of a culmination of, of everything. And yeah. it's, you know, it's really hard to kind of put your finger on it. It's, it's partly being in the right place at the right time, kind mm-hmm. of what, like, happened to me. So I believe it's a, it's a culmination of different variables that all need to kind of come together at once. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't stress enough how important internships are, uh, having a job. Mm-hmm. And while, like, when I was working here, I was going to graduate school as well. Yep. So I was doing two, pretty much two jobs, in my opinion. Um, but those are the things you kind of need to do. Doing what I like to call, you know, the trench work here. Yep. Being on the floor. Getting your hands on people. Talking people through exercises. Training on your own. You know, showing people how to do things correctly. And, and being, you know, being almost to the point where it's annoying that you're so... Uh, good you know you're talking about detail so much but don't get caught up in like paralysis by analysis so all those things kind of need to come together and you got to have a drive Mm -hmm. you have to want to do this like I didn't get into this to make money I got into this because I love to train myself and I when when something works out on the floor Mm -hmm. and I can see people have success like that was that was some of the best stuff for he, uh, for me here. Mm-hmm. Like that stuff makes me, you know, excited and emotional. Helping kids yeah. reach goals, helping adults lose weight and reach goals. Like those are some of the, my best times are right here on the out on this floor. You know, more so I think than any kind of work I did at uh, USSA. Like it was great to work with those athletes, but I never saw them in Chile or in New Zealand working on the snow. I only heard about it. Yeah. Um, but hopefully now with with working with the uh, Korean Ski Association and Mogul specifically, I get to see all the hard work they'll put in in the gym and then see it kind of transpire out on the, the course itself. And that's, for me, that's my, my one of my goals and my kind of end reward as mm-hmm. far as I'm concerned. So yeah, so I mean, let's, let's kind of break that up into, into two things. So I mean, first of all, it seems like there's a very clear distinction on what it really means to be a coach. Sure. And, you know, one of my favorite stories, I was actually listening a while back uh, to Mike Boyle's podcast. He has mm-hmm. a great podcast, strengthcoach.com, with uh, Anthony Renna, I believe. And, I mean, this was like a few years ago, and I remember Coach Boyle was being interviewed, and I think one thing they did, it was based off of some book, and I can't remember it off the top of my head, but basically what they did is, over the summer, they had t-shirts made up, and just the word, and I guess they put like a buzzword, so like they came up with like a word as a culture, like what are we going to focus on, like what, what, is the, what is this trigger word that is going to enhance our performance as practitioners, mm-hmm. and I guess one that they came up with was, was coach, 
Now, it sounds so simple and rudimentary, but it was to them, what did that word identify? What did that word bring out in them? Yeah. You know, if you look at, I think, even some of the, the, the origins of the word, I mean, coach, it's like stage coach. It's like you're leading somebody, you know, you're, yep. you're and, and that's where, if you even look at, you know, some of the traditional uh, velocity literature, there's a reason why we refer to our staff as coaches and not trainers. And I mean, if you want to kind of get cute with it, you know, you, you train animals, you coach athletes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's a mantra someone came up with. But, but in all seriousness, I do, I do like that on a lot of levels because I think it shows that there's a lot more to it than that. And yeah. I think that's something that I want kind of our audience to, to appreciate. You know, if you are talking about a sports performance coach, a strength and conditioning coach in the truest sense, this is not someone that's just sitting there punching the clock. You know, this is an individual who, you know, in many respects is willing to work for little to no money, is mm -hmm. willing to do a significant amount of work and development on their own time, is willing to basically work multiple jobs uh, to make ends meet, but is genuinely passionate about what they do. And I think of all the professions in this world, and there's tons of them, Sure. You know, the one thing that I will say about coaches is they are just so passionate. And I think you have the resume and the pedigree that reflects that. You know, you wouldn't have, you know, worked here. You wouldn't have done grad school, you know, simultaneously, volunteered your own time, post an internship, you know, travel the Mike Boyles. You know, the one thing you just mentioned, so let's kind of bring back the journey. So, mm -hmm. you know, you finish your time with, with USAA. Now you're coaching internationally. So, yes, yeah. you know, you just mentioned Korea. So, so what, so kind of where are you now in this kind of incredible journey? Right. So I was offered a job with uh, the Korean Ski Association with moguls. And there's a funny story <clears throat> because I was in contact with this guy named Jerry over yeah. at KSA, which I would never think his name was Jerry, but yeah. that's what his name was. So Jerry and I were talking and I was like, hey, Jerry, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in a job. Uh, what do you what do you have? I I have mogul or I have, excuse me I have Alpine experience. That's who I've been working with here. Yeah. Do you have a job with Alpine? He says, as a matter of fact, we do have a job with Alpine, but moguls really wants you to be their coach. Uh -huh. And I was like, okay, I really don't know much about uh -huh. moguls, yeah. but I'm I'm willing to to do, do that. that. And he's yeah. like, well, it's a little more money too. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll I think I can try to swing moguls. So. <laughs> Right as, you know, and, and things happen so quickly. Within a month, I had signed an eight-month contract to work with KSA, and I was super excited. Yeah. And the first thing I thought about was I signed a contract with a team I have no experience with. <laughs> um, so the first thing I did was immediately the next day, I went and talked to the mogul's head coach. Yeah. I was like, what? what do you guys do? You know, explain to me how, you know, I have an understanding of what moguls is, is and what yeah. they do. But I was like, explain to me kind of the intimacy of, of moguls and the, the aspects of it. And I, and he did that. I talked to their AT. Yeah. He was like, you should be focusing on these things. Then I talked to the S&C coach and he was like, him and I actually sat down and we did a needs analysis. Yeah. So right off the bat, I recognized that I had no experience with this sport. Yeah. And that I needed to get up to speed really quickly. But, you know, you, you just, again, reiterated our earlier points, which is you ticked all the boxes. You did the needs analysis. Yeah. You know, the first thing you did is you, you know, created a relationship with the current coaching staff. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that is the infrastructure of, of the team. And at the end of the day, it's, it's, it really is, you know, a team effort. You guys got to all be singing off the same hymn sheet. Right, yeah. Because if you're doing something completely, you know, contrary to what the head coach is doing or saying, I mean, that that's when in our field you can get into some real 
trouble. Absolutely. Um, so I think if we're talking kind of more just true sports performance, true S&C at the highest level, it's imperative. I mean, communication is huge. You know, I remember that, I remember that in my own experience in professional rugby. I mean, we would have, you know, sit-down meetings every Monday, just an interdisciplinary meeting. Again, I worked with predominantly uh, injured athletes, so those that were transitioning back from injury, but, mm -hmm. you know, we still needed to train them. You can't just sure, sit and yeah, do nothing, no, no. especially in a high-end collision sport like that. Yeah. So, I mean, but it was imperative that I didn't do anything um, that would put that athlete back. So if I had someone coming back from a really nasty knee injury mm -hmm. and I'm trying to develop leg strength or I'm trying to, you know, prevent as much muscle loss or strength loss as possible, uh, you know, it was imperative that I did something that was appropriate. Otherwise, I could jeopardize their recovery. And yep. an injury that was supposed to, you know, on paper take six weeks to kind of heal fully could all of a sudden take eight or nine weeks. Yeah. And if this happens to be one of the star players, that's not then a place you real be. problems, yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, I, I fully appreciate... Um, you know, the interdisciplinary approach. And, you know, when I think back to, to you know, the colleagues that I was fortunate enough to work with, uh, you know, at Quinn's, I mean, they were, they were incredible and so mm -hmm. knowledgeable and just so informative. And, you know, for me, that was a classic example of what it should look like. And, you know, at that time, you know, the team, we, you know, won your, we won European championships, uh, won the premiership. So, I mean, it was, it was a real great time to be a part of something like that and to see, you know, firsthand kind of what it takes to really be part of a successful, you know, team. Absolutely. Um, which is great. <clears throat> so let's kind of just shift gears a little bit too. So, I mean, the fact that you're living your dream, uh, which is amazing. Now you're coaching in Korea and you're coaching foreign athletes. <laughs> I mean, you want to talk about culture shock. I think it's sure. safe to say that you, yeah. know, you, you decided to, to <clears throat> you know, if this was like a computer game in the 90s, like you're on nightmare mode. Like this yeah. is the hardest level that you could set the, the game to. Yeah. Um, you know, why don't you kind of walk us through a little bit about what that's like to be in a country where you don't speak the language. I'm going to go out on a limb and say you probably stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah. You know, we talk about the fact here, unit velocity, that you know, communication is huge. And we talk about the importance of effective cueing. Uh, you know, you mentioned earlier hands-on coaching. Um, you know, communication is how we as practitioners get our message across so that the athletes we're working with can exhibit the skills and the abilities we want them to. You know, so if we want to teach acceleration, they need to understand that. You yeah. know, I was over the summer I was uh, with, listening to Nick Winkleman, and he was describing, you know, the powers of cues and specifically analogies, how analogies can really get an athlete to do something incredible and, and it's interesting I mean everybody learns in different ways you know just to again give people an idea some people are more visual so you know if they see you demonstrate something they'll pick it up yep. you know others I could describe it in detail and all of a sudden they just know what to do yeah. others wouldn't have a clue mm -hmm. and then you have those that are more tactile kind of oriented where you really need to physically get them in the correct kind of positions and I remember going back and I think it was at a Cressy seminar saying that, listen, if you can get all three of those incorporated into a session, like you're, you're flying, yeah, like you're going to, yeah. you're going to do some, some real damage, but that's all fine and dandy when I'm in the same culture, speaking <laughs> the same language, yeah. you know, what is it like working with athletes from a completely different culture, but where there's literally a language barrier where you either have to get an interpreter or you have to communicate maybe in non-conventional ways. So what is that like as a coach? Uh, so when I did go to Korea, USSA, <laughs> offered me the opportunity to go to Korea, and uh, I did, and I was fortunate enough to, to meet with a coach, Toby yeah. Dawson, the head ski coach for Moguls, and also the assistant coach, and the athletes as well, so um, it was an S&C camp for the next 13 days, so it was my show, 
Mm-hmm. So I pro I did all the programs. I you know uh, set up all the times for the training sessions. You know we were doing two a days, so one in the morning, one in the afternoon. You know, and and upon meeting these athletes, I really couldn't understand their names in the begin. <laughs> I really had no idea what their names were. So I was constantly asking them what their names were, and finally, you know, I got a I got a good grasp on it. But it was difficult in the beginning. I remember trying to incorporate all of those different styles of learning kind of mm-hmm. at once, um, which which did help. Uh, yeah. It helped me a lot, and I did a lot of demoing. Yes. I mean, it was I was practically doing the workouts. I was doing so much demoing for the for the athletes. But I mean, I would probably say in a situation like that. <clears throat> You're gonna have visually. To I had to rely almost, on that almost exclusively because I didn't know how much they were processing of what I was saying. Now they do speak English, mm-hmm. but it's not their first language. Yeah. So you know, I would get there would be whispers among them in Korean, and I obviously I don't know what they're saying. <laughs> yeah. And I'm looking at them, being like, "Are we all on the same page, or is there a question?" And they would kind of figure it out amongst themselves. So, yeah. And then they would do it, and then I would you know assess and correct from there, and give them positive feedback as well. So I I tried to minimize how many words I actually used so that nobody got confused over certain exercises or or some some sort of correction or even a positive yeah uh, kind of uh, a positive note on what they were doing. Yeah, no I mean that's uh, <laughs> so I can, it was, I can only imagine. I, you know, it was it was a challenge for sure. And it was, you know, I'm in a place, just like you said, I'm in a place where I'm not familiar with. I'm in a gym that I yeah. wasn't familiar with. I got a look at the gym. Luckily, the athletes didn't come for about three days. So I got to look at the gym. I got to survey what I had, what I could use. I had everything I needed. So at that point, it was like, okay, what, what's my focus here? What, what am I trying to, what kind of adaptations am I trying to make in this training plan? Granted, it's only 13 days, so I need to be really efficient on what I'm going to do. So that was kind of, once I had a grasp of the actual area in the weight room, that's what I started to focus on. So my focus went from the gym to the transition to the program to the conditioning aspect. So I kind of, and it was, it's strange how you can think about that stuff so quickly after you've been doing this for a little bit. But even in that setting, I was still nervous to be like, are these people going to, not that they're going to like me, are they going to understand me and, you know, respect me and see that I know what I'm doing. And that was, uh, that was a little bit part of the challenge as well. Yeah. And again, I can, I can only, I can only (laughs) imagine, but you know, the fact that you, you know, can, can not only take that off your bucket list, but I think it's just, you know, it enhances your experiences as a coach and practitioner so much. You know, yeah. the fact that you can work in foreign environments. I mean, you want to talk about, you know, rising to the challenge. I think that is undoubtedly, you know, one of the, the biggest challenges. You know, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to, to coach in a different culture, but, yeah. you know, British culture is not the same as Asian culture. No, like it's, it's, and American it's, culture is not and, the same as so, Asian culture. But, but, I mean, I, I, you know, I would not even compare, <laughs> I mean, you know, trying to coach in British culture to... Uh, to Asian culture, just because, like I said, I mean, at least there's a common language, right. in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, that that's huge. You know, as we kind of start rounding out uh, today's episode, you know, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit in terms of long-term athlete development, because, you know, now you have, in my opinion, one of the most diverse and extensive uh, experience, experiences, excuse me, that, that I've <clears throat> really encountered with, with a young coach, especially. 
So, you know, you've coached youth athletes here. You've worked with children, you know, mm -hmm. ages 9 to 11 in our fundamentals program. Yep. You've done middle schoolers. You've done high schoolers. You've worked with collegiate athletes. You've worked Division One collegiate athletes. I don't know, Division Two. Now you've worked with Olympians. Now you've worked with Olympians overseas. I mean, there really isn't anybody that you haven't, you haven't <laughs> and worked adults, with. Too. And, and adults, too. And adults, of course. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, our, our, our adult clientele, yep. which is a huge part of our, our population here. You know, one of the things that we that we talk about, and I've also mentioned in you know some of my past writings and podcasts, is this concept of long term athlete development. Mm -hmm. And so now we're talking more specifically about athletics. You know, taking young athletes on a on a particular journey. And and we've had casual conversations as well, where there's a lot of trends that are happening. And I think a lot of young athletes or careers are getting cut short. And I think sometimes it's because we're swinging in the pendulum in, in a completely different way. So here's what I mean yeah. by that. You know, a few years ago, everybody knew that there was kind of a childhood uh, obesity epidemic. And I'm still under the impression that we're still encountering that in a yes. lot of respects. And a part of it was just the sedentary lifestyle, public schools cutting, uh, PE curriculums, budget cuts, you know, recess being condensed, and that tying into more um, standardized testing. Uh, that in itself is its own kind of thing. Yeah. So on the one extreme, you have these, these young athletes that aren't really doing anything. And, you know, for the first time in medical history, we're getting kids with, like, you know, con contracting diabetes, getting, getting these health ailments that you associate with middle-aged people, yeah. adults that have yeah. had years <clears throat> of poor health. And now, all of a sudden, we're seeing it manifest in young kids, which is, in itself is pretty scary. On the flip side of this, now we're seeing a lot of young athletes that are, you know, getting Tommy John surgery. So our young baseball pitchers, you know, who are pitching year-round. Uh, they're specializing in baseball early, but they're playing, you know, multiple leagues, multiple teams. So they'll have their school team, they'll have a travel team, they'll have a select team or a regional yeah. team. Or likewise, we have athletes that are playing, you know, multiple sports, but they're just layering these things on top of one another. So they have to leave their soccer practice early because they have to get to their basketball practice. And then they're mm -hmm. doing performance training like this every other day. And, and I think we're seeing some young athletes break down as a consequence of this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, now that you've had a chance to not only experience it firsthand as a coach in this environment, but also see kind of a bigger picture, you know, see elite level athletes what are some of the themes that you're finding i mean are these people clearly they haven't been sitting on the couch all day yeah but you know what what in your opinion what for <laughs> for any parents kind of listening and and so forth i mean what what are some of the main themes what are kind of the keys to success if you truly as an athlete want to make it to that top level well i think you should try to in the beginning try to find yourself a great kind of development program uh -huh. um, and i know uh that USSA has a really good pipeline for developing athletes who can have potential to be people who can get on the podium. And that's, yeah. that's what they look for out there. You know, they only deal in sports that they, they feel the USA can actually compete and win in. Mm -hmm. So they're looking for those athletes. Um, so, so a great pipeline mm -hmm. is, is a great place to start, a good development program. Um, from there, I would say find yourself a great strength and conditioning program yeah that's going to be crucial for long-term athletic development yeah i mean these these guys at the highest level understand that they need to do these things in the weight room to be able to maintain performance at a high level but also to take care of themselves i mean because they go through they, they encounter a lot of bumps and bruises you know potential injuries so they need to be able to make they need to be able to 
be robust, just like you talked about with, with rugby. It's kind of they, they understand that they this is this is part of the culture, and that it has to be done. But you also have to find the time, yeah, um, to do it as well. And I think you know that 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 brings us full circle. And you know we've said many times that strength and conditioning, sports performance training. I mean, I use those terms kind of you know synonymously with one another, but it is an investment. Yes. And it's an investment in your future. It's an investment in your body. And, you know, I did a podcast a while back where I talk about the athletic toolbox. It's an analogy that we use here all the time. You know, it's developing the physical skills. Or another, uh, you know, great analogy is some coaches refer to it as movement vocabulary. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, just as we, the more expansive your vocabulary, the more words you can use, you know, the more you can just basically just portray yourself and explain yourself. Yep. Well, if an athlete has a more extensive movement vocabulary, you're going to see that manifested on the field, on the court, on the ice. And you're not going to necessarily get that from the sport itself. So if you want to learn how to accelerate, decelerate, jump, turn, sprint, cut, all these things, yeah, it's a skill. And, yeah, you know, absolutely. It's a skill that is taught in a strength and conditioning setting. And in an alpine sport, you don't those things aren't done. I mean, no. All it is is go fast and don't crash, you know? <laughs> but, you know, how, but you'll never be successful in an alpine sport if you're, if you physically can't if get into the phys- right positions. Exactly, yep. And exactly. how do you get into the right positions? Well, that's where, again, certain muscles need to be strong. Certain Absolutely. muscles need to be lengthened. Certain muscles need to be shortened. Certain muscles need to be contracted. Others inhibited. That's right. I mean, again, we, I know I'm kind of beating a dead horse here, but we, there is a science to it. Mm-hmm. And I think, what I certainly see, and this is why I take so much pride in, in working for a company like Velocity, is you know our young athletes that are that are here, they're getting it, and we're seeing those changes, you know, and that I think is one of the most rewarding things is to see these young athletes who are moving so much better, are they're just athletic, and you yeah. see that, and you know we go watch games, we see that we see them stand out, and I'm not just saying that because they're our athletes and we're so proud of them, but you can see, I mean, it's 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 akin to you know, if you're a race car driver and you're seeing, you know, a, a, a race where some people are taking care of their cars, mm-hmm. others aren't, you yeah. know, that car is going to, you know, that car that isn't having the fluids checked or that isn't, you know, getting its transmission regularly worked on, like, yeah. it's going to run differently That's right. than that other car that's being looked after on a regular basis. And that's what we try to kind of accomplish here. So, I mean, I think in wrapping kind of today's podcast up, you know, it sounds to me, in your opinion, that long-term athlete development, it's having a plan, it's having good coaching resources, it's, you know, affiliating yourself with a good pipeline, so like, you know, a good organization. A good grassroots a good, program. A good grassroots yeah. program, yep. so learning the skills mm-hmm. early on. You know, we are a big fan of multi, multi-sports, and there's sure, a lot yeah. of research going out saying, listen, the top athletes, they didn't always just do skiing. No. They did other sports, but there comes a point where they do specialize, and they do decide, you know what? We will do skiing is going to be where I, I hang my hat, so to speak. Yep. But for many years before that, they might try other alpine sports. They might play soccer. They might play golf. I mean, they're getting this whole uh, host of just movement experience, yeah, which is going to only set them up for success when they do specialize. And I know in our world, you know, there's a great mantra. Or I think I don't even know how you want to describe it, but. Basically, I talk about this also this concept of, of periodization, you know, which is in so many words is just having a training plan. Yes, having, yeah. having a, it's like a recipe book for success, but yep, kind it's of a guideline. At, it's, yeah. a, it's guidelines and so forth. But 
you know, there's, there's unequivocal research that shows that the more general preparation you have, so the more just general work you have as a foundation, kind of using a pyramid analogy, when it is time to specialize, you have that much broader foundation to build upon. So I think it's, it sounds to me this stuff comes full circle, but, you know, having good coaching, you know, progressing the athletes in the appropriate way, mm -hmm. coaching them up, you know, using a combination of visual, audio, tactile cueing, you know, all these things really come together. And if you really, you know, want to reap the best out of a sports performance program, you need a good coach. You do. And the best coaches, you know, are the ones, like you said, that go above and beyond. You know, yeah. people like yourself that have literally attained tons of experience at all levels. Working with youths, working with middle schoolers, high schoolers, D1 athletes, Olympians. But it takes a heck of a lot to get there because, yeah. like you said, the fact that there's over a hundred applicants for a few spots, yeah. you know, clearly you have done things. And any person listening to this that aspires to do this, you need to do things to set yourself apart because you, do, yeah. you know everybody's going to be hustling after that loose ball. And I think what I want is for young coaches out there to appreciate the journey and the process because mm -hmm. you really need to apply yourself and go above and beyond. But I think I also, you know, wanted to get you on so that, you know, parents, consumers, they can also understand how imperative it is to have a sports performance or a strength and conditioning coach, but really what separates a good coach. Right. Because I think there's a lot, you know, there's a lot out there. And I think we're all kind of thrown together, personal trainers, strength and conditioning coaches, you know, we're almost kind of putting a we blender. Are. And, yeah. it is. and I think, you know, the average Joe game <clears throat> public doesn't necessarily know how to differentiate what that is, what your skill set is. And I think, you know, you've done a great job today of kind of illustrating that. Yeah. So anything uh, you just want to add before we kind of wrap today's episode up? No, it's great to be back here at Velocity in Massachusetts um, to get some training and some continued studying, continued education stuff. Uh, it's been a great, great time doing this. Appreciate well, it. you'll certainly be a, a featured guest. I look forward <laughs> uh, to getting you back, especially when you're in uh, Korea, hearing how that goes. But, yeah. Mike, always a pleasure. Anyway, that's us, ladies and gents. Thanks for listening. And, uh, yeah, be well. Have a great autumn. Take care, everybody. <laughs>